It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Talk Recorded live. Welcome into the game day on Rocky Top Podcast. I'm Will Shelton alongside Joel Hollingsworth. We hope to be joined by Brad Shepard here in a few minutes. So this is Wednesday night. We're recording this on Wednesday night. That means you will probably listen to it on a Thursday. This is the Thursday after a Saturday that was no fun at all. But what I assume about you if you're listening to this podcast is you have heard and, and said lots and lots of things about this Florida game already this week. You've read lots of things, hopefully some of them on our site. You've read lots of arguments. You've read lots of um, some vitriol, some frustration, some negative things, all these, these kinds of things. Many of them, not all of them, but many of them valid. Um, but my assumption at this point is you've kind of heard those conversations probably more than once. So we're going to try to talk about a couple of different things tonight, starting with, again, not that some of those things didn't need to be said, but Joel, say something nice about Tennessee. What's something, not just one thing you can, you can pick out from the Florida game that you thought was good, but three games into this thing, we've seen Tennessee against live fire kind of twice now. What are you most confident in the rest of a season that still has nine and hopefully ten games? And there's a ton of football left in this thing. What are you most confident in? What is your greatest point of positivity about Tennessee here through these first three games? Well, you got to start with John Kelly. Right. Uh, John Kelly is awesome. Um, I do wish he would not have gotten the penalty, but, you know, that's part of who he is. And I imagine that that uh, attitude that caused the penalty was also worth 50 yards or so, you know, so probably willing to wash that out a little bit. Um, <clears throat> but we're going to be able to, to lean on him uh, the rest of the way, I think. We want to make sure we don't wear him out. Uh, but I think, too, that a lot of times when you have a good running back, you really got to give credit to the offensive line. So uh, I'm going to do that. I think the offensive line is probably doing a pretty good job uh, paving the way for him. Uh, although he does get a lot sort of after he gets touched too. I mean, that, that dude's got balance. Let, let's just focus on his balance for a second. They keep talking about how he wanted to be a professional skateboarder or something. And right, you know, the, right. dude, the dude's got the right size. He's got power. He's got tenacity and attitude. But I think the thing that makes him special is his uh, balance because he just seems – he's like a cat. He just always comes down on his feet and keeps going, you know. So, love that dude. Um, I, I think he's going to be good. I actually have a lot of positive things to say. Uh, I'm very excited. I, you know, I posted on the, on the site this morning that, uh, you know, there's some things to be excited about this weekend. Um, you know, seeing new guys for the UMass game, seeing uh, some other teams on the, uh, on the schedule that could impact the SEC East race. Um, so I, I'm still, uh, I'm, I'm still all in. I'm, I'm excited actually. So I, I, I will say that I don't know what you're talking about, all the negative stuff, because I was pretty much just eating ice cream and Fritos for the past four days. <laughs> so, you know, I was ignoring all that. Whatever works. I, I have told, um, <laughs> it's dangerous to say this on a public broadcast form maybe, but, um, so my wife and I are having a baby, uh, a week or so from now and she's on bed rest. And so, when the game ended Saturday, um, I, I wrote my little thing and then I was like, all right, like I've got to, I've got to do laundry. I've got to cook dinner. I've got to go to the grocery. I've got to do all these things. It was really kind of a nice distraction. Uh, I don't, I don't want to, I'm not sure how much I want to make the argument for housework is a great cure for when you, uh, your team suffers a crushing loss, but, um, it was, uh, it, it was nice to not think about those things. Um, I, I will say, uh, I think that this, the loss two years ago because of the fact that Tennessee had the lead for such a long time in that game um, and the fact that, to me, that 15 loss got so much worse as the rest of the year went on because what we figured out about Tennessee, especially after they played Alabama two years ago, is 
like Tennessee in 2015 was legitimately good. That that was a really good Tennessee team that not just should have won the East because Florida wasn't very good, but should have won the East because we were the best team in the East. And so the fact that what happened on fourth down two years ago ended up costing you not just another year in a streak that was unbroken, but, you know, literally that play cost Tennessee the SEC East. And so that one, to me, um, both in the immediate aftermath and um, we'll see what happens this year. But but long term, that one will be difficult to top. So it's kind of a, a morbid way of looking at it. But to me, the one two years ago hurt more. Um, I, I was much uh, angrier two years ago. Uh, this one, uh, certainly not fun uh, and, and a lot to be frustrated about that this one really similar we've talked about on our site to the 2014 game in Knoxville um, but I, I think there are it's it's a, we'll, we'll have to see what happens really um, the rest of the year to kind of get a sense of, of how bad or whatever that last play was certainly shocking but I think the sense of the fact that I think a lot of us thought Tennessee should have won that game because they had a bit, the better team but you tend not to win games when you miss three field goals in a game and you throw pick sixes and all that stuff that Tennessee had, had already done in that game. And I think most of us had kind of assumed it was going to be a loss. Uh, and so that maybe made it a, a little bit easier or maybe you needed a little less, uh, a little less ice cream uh, this time than you did two years ago. So um, I don't know. I will say when we're talking about what's positive, uh, I, I think that Joel, you've made the argument on our site that like Tennessee played pretty poorly and they did still almost win um beyond that i think there are there are some there's some depth to this team that i think is much more ready to go than last year's depth was last year you paid less attention to the depth because the guys in the front were so famous by that point josh dobbs and Derek barnett and all those guys but like john kelly obviously is is leading the charge here but i really like what i've seen it, you know ty chandler's got 12 carries for 51 yards on the year, that's four yards of carry. Um, I, I like what we're seeing at um, when when they finally do rotate linebackers and different things like that. The guys that do come in and play, whether that's Batuli in the opener uh, or or Corte Sapp getting opportunities there. I think there's some real depth to this team that can come in handy if if injuries don't go crazy like they did last year in the quantity department. I, I like being able to see that our second and third string guys. I don't know how many third string guys we've seen yet, but that our second string guys can come in and be counted on to some degree. Uh, that's not something that Tennessee has enjoyed in a long time. And so uh, I think that is something good that, that we've seen, at least in the first three, few weeks, that as long as injuries don't persist, uh, that we can uh, we can continue with. Brad Shepard is on with us now. Brad, we were talking about, is there what, what's the biggest positive that you take out of what you've seen either on Saturday or what you've seen in the, in the first three weeks, we talked about John Kelly, of course, uh, and I was just talking about depth, but in, in the midst of such a difficult situation and that game's been talked about over and over and over and over again, is there something that stands out to you in terms of something that, that is a, uh, something that is the biggest positive uh, about Tennessee so far at this point in the year? Well, I mean, I, I mean, the obvious answer is, is Kelly. I mean, uh, you know, I, I think that he's probably the best, you know, running back, if not one of the two best running backs right now in the SEC. And, you know, I think that he's proving that he can do a little bit of everything for Tennessee. And that's, you know, that's encouraging. Um, and it's, you know, it, he also doesn't seem, at least to me, like the kind of running back that would go pro a year early. So, you know, it's, it, it really seems like that we, you know, we may have him for for this year and next, and that he's got the potential to be, you know, just really the centerpiece of this offense moving forward. Um, you know, as far as you know, other positives right now. I mean, it's 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 really tough. I mean, it's tough to 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 move beyond what you what you see in that game, and and you know, kind of the 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 negative, I guess that. You know, there's there there are plenty of negatives, and you know they they really kind of outweigh the positive when you have a loss like that. I mean, just because sure. you know, for it's just it's still tough. It's really you know it's tough to get over that. I mean, as as just you know somebody even even when you're used to Tennessee kind of ripping your heart out and 
you know, tap dancing on it. I mean, it, it's it's a new way. It's 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 an awful way, and it's a a way that you know. It, it, I try to 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 you know move away from hyperbole a little bit, and and I don't want to you know you, you, like we were talking about last week. I mean, we we're talking about you know the extremes of people saying it was you know Butch needs to be fired and all this stuff, and that we you know just harped on last week that we can't jump to that conclusion and. And I'm not going to do that, but you know, it, it it did kind of at times feel like it could possibly be the beginning of of the end. I mean, you know, I don't want to say that, but because we don't know what's going to happen the remainder of the season. But this this was rough. It was a rough coaching game. Um, you know, when you have seven plays inside the ten yard line and you call seven passes and complete one for zero yards, when you've got John Kelly who had 230 some odd total yards in the game, it's it's really baffling, you know, to see that. But as far as positives go, I mean, if you take away that last that last play, which you can't take it away and you, you can't forget it and it's going to haunt us forever. But, you know, I, I felt like, you know, I felt like that the defense really, you know, had some points in that game where they made a lot of plays. And, and I, I was encouraged by – and and I wrote that I wrote this week that you know that to me kind of the guys that I felt like needed to be playing all along Daniel Batuli and Corte Sapp now have to play and and our defense looks better because of it and they look faster because of it and you know Batuli got got taken out a few series in that second half because I guess he wasn't lining people up right I don't know I'm I'm, I'm I don't really know that but you know that's what we've all read this week and and so you know you're you're going to take some lumps in that regard just from guys maybe not knowing exactly how to get folks lined up but from a talent perspective you know the talent's there I mean Mike Abernathy and and Nigel Warrior you know whether they you know allow the receiver to get behind them or not they they both played pretty good games I thought and I thought Batuli played well and um I, I thought Phillips had flashes where he played pretty well Taylor really looked good and you know, it, it just, I mean, Tuttle looks like he's going to be okay once he kind of knocks some of the rust off. So there are some elements of that defense, some players that that kind of encourage you about, you know, the future. And I guess as as I kind of came in when you were discussing, um, you know, there, it, it looks like this team's got some depth, um, but it, you know, they they haven't put a lot together yet. And so I, you know, I'm just kind of interested to see if that's going to happen, and you know, if Dormady is going to be the guy, if they're going to give Garantano a a long, you know, a, an extended look, or you know, what's going to happen. I think this team's kind of searching right now, and I think that that's that there are a lot of pieces there to be a really good football team. Still, I mean, this season's not over by any stretch, but and, and nobody really looks you know, unbeatable on the schedule except Alabama. So, you know, this team can really still have a good year. It's just a matter of can they put all those pieces together? Can they move beyond this? Can they kind of rally around the with the us against the world and he's really not on the hot seat mentality and, and win some football games? If I gave you a ballot right now, Brad, we'll start with you on this one, and said rank for me the SEC East where you think it will be at the end of the year. I, I don't like we, – we overanalyze Tennessee. So I'm, I'm, I'm not going to ask you about Tennessee. I'm going to ask you about Florida. If I gave you one through seven right now and said power rank for me where you think these teams in the SEC East will be at the end of the year, where would you put Florida at, at, in that ranking in terms of I think they're going to be – one, they're going to win the East. Seven, they're going to be the worst team in the East. Where would you put Florida in, in terms of your perception at the at the end of the year, one through seven in the SEC East? I still think Tennessee finishes better than them. I think that Tennessee is going to, you know, finish. I don't see Tennessee. I don't see Tennessee beating Georgia. I think Georgia is going to win the league. You know, but but they've got questions. Everybody's got questions. I I don't understand exactly what happened last week in the. The South Carolina-Kentucky game, I was actually having to cover the Clemson-Louisville game for Bleacher Report, so I didn't get to watch a lot of that game. But I was baffled to see that because I thought I have been thinking that South Carolina was probably the be- the second-best team in the East, even 
you know, earlier in the season. And now I'm I'm not so sure. You know, Vanderbilt looks pretty darn good so far. I mean, at least I, I can't believe I'm going to say this because two years ago I never thought I would have said it, but they they at least look fundamentally sound and well coached, which <laughs> I, I didn't think that Derek Mason was a, a good head coach. I mean, so you know, I'm not sure they're. I'm not sure they the talent's there. I think that they're going to, you know, kind of get exposed a little bit this week, obviously against Alabama. But you know, are they are they as good as Tennessee? Are they as good as Florida? Are they as good as South Carolina or Kentucky? I mean, they may be. I mean, they really could be. I mean, they've got some experience on that team now, so, and and Shermer's really he really looks good. So, and they've got Ralph Webb. Everybody knows how good he is. So. I really think that two through five are really a toss-up right now, and Tennessee's in that mix. I think Georgia right now is is the team to beat in the conference. But I guess if I had to pick them right now, I would say, you know, I would I would guess right now Georgia's one, Tennessee and South Carolina are kind of right there at two and three, and Vanderbilt right behind, and then Florida behind them, and that's even and. You know, maybe I'm just not giving Florida its due, but I, I thought Tennessee was the better football team on Saturday, and I thought that, you know, that just absolute poor, unbelievably ridiculous coaching and play calling cost Tennessee a game that, you know, it should have won by a couple touchdowns. So I'm trying to not say it, you know, as much as I, you know, trying to not bash on Butch or the coaching staff or whatever, but it was just there were some inexplicable things in that game, and I think that you can't move beyond those things. And so for for all of the good things that Butch has done since he's been there, and that's a lot of really good things, he's still a a game day liability. And until he proves otherwise, he just is. You know, I'll say one thing about that. When we – Two years ago, uh, when we did this podcast, uh, Joel, it may have just been you and I, um, and when all the conversation was, uh, why didn't he go for two uh, against Florida when they were up 26 to 14 and, and could have made it two possessions? Uh, and, and we talked about something. I've seen it pop up a bunch of times. It's, I, Bill Simmons used to write that every team needs to have a kid that's played Madden a thousand times on the sideline every every game. Um because when fans – I said this two years ago, and it's true this week too, that when when fans get most upset with coaches, it's it's typically not because they called – you know, they, they ran a wheel route and we thought they should have run post-corner or, you know, something like that. Not running the ball inside the, the 20, obviously that's, that's an issue no matter what level of football you're at or, or how much you've played Madden. That's kind of a common sense thing. But the the game management stuff is the area where fans get most frustrated because anybody that's played Madden has a million reps at that, knowing when to take timeouts, uh, knowing how to manage the situation when the other team has timeouts. So that stuff to me is always where I think fans are most likely to be upset because those are the decisions that seem most obvious to the fan base, if that makes sense. So – when they have first and goal with the nine with 52 seconds left and Florida has two timeouts, the the play to me, and I think to most people, not just because John Kelly was having an incredible day, the play is you run the ball at least once and make Florida use those timeouts and ensure that the worst thing that happens to you is you kick a field goal with three seconds left and we go to overtime and you don't have that scenario that happens. So um, it, it happened. It's tough to say, like Georgia Tech, they left Georgia Tech too much time Kelly also scored on a, on a nice little run. You're not going to tell him to go down when Tennessee's behind in the game and needs the touchdown. Um, happened at Texas A&M last year where at the end of regulation, Tennessee scored quote-unquote too quickly and let A&M come back down the field. So I think there's a lot of a lot of the frustration lands there because those are things that a, a higher percentage of fans kind of understand and think about and people that play Madden a lot have a lot of reps at, at understanding those kinds of things when you use timeouts or whatever. And I, I, um, I think it's fair to say he, Butch Jones has never been particularly good at management of timeouts. And so um, though, those are situations that become uh, excessively frustrating. And uh, when you have a game like Saturday, I think that's, that's, that being part of the problem is certainly where a lot of the, the frustration lies. He needs, you know, somebody, 
get him Madden in the off season. Let him play. It's it'll it'll help. Um, <laughs> but I I think that um, we'll we'll bounce around and talk about a couple of these things too. Joel, do you have a thought on on Florida? Do you agree with with Brad's assessment that you know you would see Tennessee still being ranked ahead of them in the East when the season is over? I do. I think it's I think it's Georgia at the top, although um, I think they look beatable, and I also think that they have a better chance at a second loss than I used to think uh, because of Mississippi State. And then I think it's uh, I think it's Tennessee after that. Now South Carolina is going to be a completely different team without Debo Samuel. Um, so that's a that, good point. That's, that's a really good point. Yeah. yeah. So so then you have South Carolina and Kentucky and and Vanderbilt, but you know, I, I you know give them credit for for what they're doing. But Kentucky's played. Who is this? I'm looking at it here. Southern Miss. Kentucky and Southern Miss. Yeah, and yeah, in South Carolina, and then Vanderbilt. You know, they had a good win against Kansas State, I guess. But you know, you don't know a whole lot about Kansas State, and I think you know they got Alabama, Florida, and Georgia coming up. They're going to get reminded who they are pretty quick, I think. So. Um, you know they're going to be they're going to be much closer to fifty fifty games than I want them to be, but I still think that Tennessee will have the edge in those. And so I'd put Florida sort of in that same group. I mean, it was basically a fifty fifty game that we, you know, should have won. We had it in our hands. That's what always happens against Florida. Um, and um, so yeah, I think Florida's not going to. I think Tennessee's going to finish ahead of Florida. And uh, I think the you know the main game right now is trying to figure out how to get past Georgia if it's possible. Yeah, see, I I agree with that, and I think that if 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 you're looking for positives, um, I would just look kind of towards the scope of of what this season looks like it could be. Like if I said I think Florida's going to finish fifth in the East, that that's not a crazy thought, you know, like that that really like that could happen to them. So. I say that to say the thing we're used to from losing these guys all these years is your whole season becomes about watching them and hoping they lose twice. And since Alabama got Nick Saban, you, if you lose to Florida, you really have to hope Florida loses three times. But yeah. I think this year, I'm just not sure. They could come out Saturday and blow Kentucky out by 30 for all I know. But I, I don't anticipate that sort of thing happening. I don't anticipate that happening a lot at all in any SEC East game that doesn't involve Missouri. So I I think there is look if if Mississippi State beats Georgia Saturday and Alabama does what it will do to Vanderbilt then everyone in the East is going to have a loss except for whoever wins the Florida Kentucky game and if it's Kentucky then they're not going to scare anybody so um, I, I I do think I would agree that Georgia and South Carolina have looked the best Tennessee gets both of them in Knoxville with a bye week between so. I think we may – I don't know if Tennessee is going to beat Georgia. I don't know if they're going to beat South Carolina. I certainly don't know if they're going to beat LSU. That game is so far away, it's hard to kind of get any kind of sense on it. But I think there is a chance that as much as this loss stings, we may look back in early November and say, man, we really should have won, and it feels even worse because Florida's not that good. But also because Florida's not that good, then it hurts Tennessee a little less if they can beat Georgia uh, than it would in the SEC East standings in terms of a, a normal year. So this thing will we'll get if, – if that happens – I'm going to write about this for Friday, but if that happens Saturday, Joel, you already touched on it a little bit. If you get Mississippi State over Georgia and, and Kentucky over Florida, then, I mean, you just kind of throw your hands up and say, <laughs> who knows, and Tennessee will have the best chance to go out and take care of their own business than the very next Saturday against Georgia. So I think a lot of that will color – the way the Georgia game looks. And, and on the other hand, if Georgia beats Mississippi State, and any East team that gets a win over a West team, I know a couple of these teams get to play Ole Miss this year, but one of them's I think, Vanderbilt, and they play Alabama. So it's, that's not a, yeah, it's not a good trade there. Um, any, any East team that, that beats a West team will have a big leg up in this whole thing. So um, Tennessee only has one realistic shot at that since one of the teams they play is Alabama. But I just think there's the narrative of this season. I I don't think the narrative of Tennessee's chances in the East will come down to what they didn't do in Gainesville the way it did two years ago. It may come down to they're just not as good as Georgia is. Um, but yeah. 
there, there's still a lot to be determined, I think, in that whole that whole conversation. How would you, um, Brad? I'll start with you. How do you handle Garantano on Saturday? What do you do? Yeah, I think it's time for an extended look. I mean, I I think that you know Butch is pretty as has pretty much at least listening to him. You think that that Dormady is is his choice, and that's who he's rolling with right now. And and I don't think there's anything really wrong with that. I mean, I, we we've seen flashes of of what Dormady can do, and I mean. You know, he led Tennessee back again. Well, Kelly led Tennessee back, but I mean, he, you know, he played fairly well at times down the stretch against Florida, even though it really wasn't his best game. And he's got accuracy issues. He's definitely got footwork issues. And you know, we see all of the negative things. And but you know, the the kid's got a lot of talent. So from a Dorney perspective, I mean, is he still the guy? I mean, I I don't really think that he's maybe played his way out of the starter role yet. Um, but you know, if if you're Butch, you've got to to give Garantano a chance to throw, you know, ten, twelve passes, I think, and to play, you know, at least a whole quarter, maybe two whole quarters against UMass, and because UMass is 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 awful. I mean, you know, they're right. they're they're not Indiana State bad, but they're, you know, Mark Whipple's not going to see the end of this season. They're they can't sell out of fifteen thousand. Stadium, they're they're really really bad. I mean, so you know Tennessee should win this game by four or five touchdowns. And and you know we we need to see Garantano. We need to see what he can do. We need to see him within the framework and the concepts of this offense without the restrictor plates on when Tennessee's up by a lot. So you know I really you know if if I'm Butch, I I try to give them even reps on Saturday only because. You know that Dormady's not taking the job and 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 ran with it yet, and and we all want to see it, and or we all want to see one of them do it. I'm not, I don't care which one does it, but you know, and he, and he's not done it yet, and I don't think that anybody that's rational can sit here and say, you know, Garantano needs to be the starter because we don't know yet. We don't know if he needs to be the starter because we've not seen enough of them yet. We're still going off potential. We're still going off what we think, you know, he can be and you know what we're still going off his immense talent. But, you know, also, you know, everybody that you've talked to that that you know, that that's seen any practice or that, you know, believes anything that these coaches say, you know, he's not Dobbs and he's not as dynamic in the open field and he doesn't always know you know, when to run and, and when to stay in the pocket and pass and that kind of thing. But that stuff will come with, with game reps. And so, you know, we we need to see more game reps. We need to see him get an opportunity to play, you know, for an extended period of time this week and to let parts of the game be his. So, you know, so they can make an educated decision. So, I would like to see that. I doubt he gets two full quarters, but I would like to see I would like to see him get two full quarters and I think that he at least needs, you know, five or six series. Joel, do you agree, disagree? How would you handle Garantano this week? <clears throat> I've been thinking about this and I was relatively certain at first, but now I'm I'm beginning to second guess myself. I was thinking that what you should do is is you want to signal that, that there's you know, that Dormandy is, is, you know, no question the starter. Everybody knows that, but you want to make sure you give that signal. So he starts, um, but then you also tell him um, he's only going to get a certain number of series. Maybe it's two, maybe it's four, uh, something like that, so that you can take him out uh, when that's over, regardless of how he's done. So if he struggles a little bit or throws an interception or, or whatever, you're not waiting for him to get up three touchdowns because then if, you, if you're if you midway through the third quarter and you're not there yet, you know, everybody starts sweating and we got more problems down the road. Um, so I, I would give him a certain number of series and then hand it over to Garantano. There's, there's danger in that too because if you hand it over too early – and you don't have the game put away, you know, <laughs> you lose this game. You're in, well, let's just say <laughs> Monday. Yeah, you can't lose the UMass. <laughs> yeah, so 
you want you want to handle it the right way, and and you don't want to ruin Garantano by you know saying, okay, you know having to take him out so then Dormy can come in and save the day either. So it, it's kind of tough. Um, I guess I'm going to just go ahead and agree with Brad then, even though I liked my plan to begin with, because <laughs> there's real risk. It, you know these these egos and these uh, maybe not even egos, but just the the confidence of these um, young guys and inexperienced guys is a little bit fragile. So you, best case scenario, you want to create uh, <clears throat> a situation where they both come out um, feeling good about themselves. Here's my concern on this for Saturday is you, they're going to start Dormady. You start Dormady, let's say he goes 7 of 12 for – 85 yards, doesn't throw a touchdown, doesn't throw an interception. We get up 21 to nothing, whatever, fine. Then you bring in Garantano, and he lights it up against UMass. Is, are, are we, I, I am not convinced that Dormandy or Garantano is going to be the difference between winning or losing against Georgia. I could be wrong about this. But I, I would be just just the same as you don't, you don't write the kid off forever because he went 4 of 12 against Indiana State. If Dormady plays so-so and Garantano plays out of his mind, let's say, against UMass, then are, are we going to go into Georgia not knowing who our quarterback is in what sounds like we would all agree is, is kind of the most important game on the schedule? That, that makes me nervous. Is I think the coaching staff seems to have enough certainty that they put they didn't even play Garantano against Georgia Tech and didn't play him unless uh, until they had to there when there was an injury against Florida you need to beat Georgia you, Butch needs the win and that's the most important game on Tennessee's schedule in terms of the SEC East and I I think if they're not convinced up to this point you you haven't seen Dormady take take it like Brad said but you also haven't seen him really give it away um so I I think <laughs> That, that is a concern of mine, that if you send the signal that this thing is up for grabs and if Garantano happens to play great against a team we all agree is terrible, that, that can put you in a worse situation from a, from a chemistry philosophy standpoint. Admittedly, I've said on this podcast and on, the, on Rocky Top Talk and Game Day on Rocky Top many times, I've, I tend to value chemistry and those kinds of intangibles more than the average person and sometimes too much. Um, but that is that would be a concern of mine about that. I, I think you you go with Dormandy. You you don't play Garantano in a fashion that makes anyone think that you don't play him in a fashion that makes the team or makes Dormandy believe that he's not going to be the guy against Georgia. You roll Dormandy out there against Georgia, and if you lose, you got the bye week and Tennessee's two in the hole. You you open it up, you know, and 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 open it up with that bye week with South Carolina there. Because at that point, if you're two in the hole, it's just going to be a really steep hill to climb in the SEC East, and that sort of change maybe could help Butch Jones anyway. So that that would be my fear in terms of how they might handle the situation on on Saturday. Um, a couple other questions, a couple other thoughts to look at. And in, in, we were asking earlier, what's the biggest positive you take away? The biggest long-term concern that I have, uh, uh, the play calling and all that stuff, I know we're all frustrated about, the game management stuff. I have concerns that we may not have a corner that's good on this team. And we we played – Felipe Franks made one of the most incredible throws I've ever seen. So I want to make that clear. That throw on the last play of the game was a, was a wondrous thing. But he's not very good. Uh, Florida's passing game is not very good the rest of the day. And some of these other teams that we are going to play will, will be better at least. I, I have a concern that we just are not very good at corner, like, period. Um, is, is that – Brad, do you want to speak a little bit on your, your thoughts on that, maybe how Tennessee has addressed it or failed to address it in, in recruiting? Because the other thing is Justin Martin and Emmanuel Mosley are seniors. Jack Wiggins, whatever is or isn't going on with him, he won't be on the team next year either. So – that that is to me, it's it's on paper from a year away. That's the biggest hole on next year's team too, where you're going to be playing Schamberger or Balin Buchanan or or I don't know out there. So, give me Brad, give me your thoughts on on. Am I overblowing that concern? Is what what's the deal here with Tennessee's corners? 
No, I mean, and I want you know, I wonder why we've not seen more Schamberger and Labruza if if those guys are, you know, if we are to believe what we heard in the in the fall because or in the in the in the summer preseason because I mean, you know, what we've seen has not been very very good at least on one side. I mean, I think Mosley's had an okay you know beginning to the season for sure. I don't think he's done anything that's been overly awful, but um. You know, Martin's been been just brutal. I mean, so far, and you know, and like you said, I mean, Wiggins, we haven't really seen him yet. But you just kind of throw your hands in the air and you're like, this kid was good enough to play at Georgia and Louisville, but now he's not good enough to play in this secondary. Like, what's what are we missing here? I mean, I don't really understand if and it it's it's mind-boggling to me. I mean, I know he's been dealing with injuries, but his his exasperation on the sidelines the past two weeks to me tells me that he thinks he can at least play. So, you know, I don't know. I mean, I I, I think that, you know, I, I was very excited about Tennessee's um, cornerback class this past year. I think that, you know, I, I'm, I really like Schamberger and LaBruz. I really like Bailey. I think that all three of those kids are, are SEC cornerbacks. And, you know, I think that that, you know, we should be, excited about the future of those guys. I wonder why, you know, we're not seeing at least one of those guys right now. I mean, Schamberger is, is physical. To me, he's got a, a lot of, you know, Jonathan Hefney in him. You know, I, I think he's a guy that, that could help Tennessee right now. And, you know, you're going to get some blown coverages, but, you know, you're also going to get some, you know, a guy that's, you know, that's physical, that's that can, can make plays and, you know, that maybe he's not a shutdown cornerback, but he's, you know he's he's got he's got the potential to be a really good cornerback. Yeah, I think that that Balin could develop still. I mean, obviously his his dad's got the NFL bloodlines, and you know, and and there's still Marquill Osborne, who you know, there's a reason why Clemson and Ohio State wanted that kid, and you know, and 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 the recruiting class this year, you know, they're 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 bringing in a couple of guys in Tanner Engel, and especially um uh um of Joe Horn's kid, J.C. Horn, that I think are really good. Yeah, that that are really good, really good players. And so, you know, I wonder, I wonder how much of it is, is just that, you know, the, you know, kind of washing the Willie Martinez stink off of you. I mean, (laughs) you know, it was a brutal three years of not turning your head around and, you know, and, and I, I think Mosley's done done a lot better fundamentally this year. So I, I'm not down on Warren, you know, yet. I, and I think that, you know, I, I don't know what Martin's deal is. I mean, he's 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 not had anything really yet to hang hang his hat on, other than the the hustle play where he knocked the fumble out against Florida, which, you know, that 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 made me happy for that kid because. He, he's yeah. taken a lot of heat, and he's not—he's not been very good this year. But you know, kind of beyond all that, he's still—I mean, it's cliched, you know. But but it's—you know—I I love a kid that's going to hustle like that and give his all for Tennessee or whatever on that kind of play. You know, that was a a monstrous play in that game, and that that showed me that you know he's not a a selfish kid that's just out there not you know that not hustling or whatever. He's He's trying. He's just struggling, you know, and and that's I, I can live with that. I mean, so you know, he he's he's having a bad season so far, and um, you know, and, and the bottom line is is that you've recruited. I mean, let's let's see what you got, and and again, you know, whether that's, I mean, I, I hate to to blame Butch for everything, but you know, Shub's been good everywhere he's been, and I, I just I don't understand. Some of the decisions that are being made, some of the personnel decisions, you know, some of the, some of the, you know, the, the a couple of the play calls, you know, especially the on the last play against Florida. So there, there's some things that are that are baffling to me. That, you know, like we said last week, I think you said it, Will. That, that you know, did did he just did he didn't just he didn't just forget how to coach. So, right. you know, what what's going on? And, and I don't really know what's going on if it's a if it's a talent intelligence scheme mix, I don't know. I mean, if it's just a, I don't know what the deal is, but, you know, from a cornerback standpoint, there's obviously been, you know, some, there's some detachment there. We're not, 
we're not seeing the talent match what we're you know what we see on the field and you know I don't I don't know what the answer is and I I really don't you know maybe maybe you play some of those kids and and see what they got because right now you know the upperclassmen are not are not doing anything that really sets them apart so if that's the case why not try the younger guys I think that's that's a good point and and I'll kind of shift that to to the other point I was going to make here is I've read a couple places and seen Colton Jumper is is usually kind of the poster child on this and Brad you wrote a good story this week on on injuries making Tennessee put more talented players on the field ahead of veterans the the group of seniors on this team is really interesting to me we talked on the first podcast this year about how it really is the 2015 class, the guys that are juniors and redshirt sophomores that we're going to have a lot to say about the success or failure of this team. But when I when I look at Tennessee, he, okay, so here's, here are the seniors in the starting lineup for Tennessee. So th- these are guys you're going to lose. Josh Smith, Ethan Wolf, Brett Kendrick, Jayshon Robertson, Coleman Thomas has been a starter. I know he hasn't this year, but he's – so you're going to lose him for next year. But other than Ethan Wolf and Josh Smith, you'll you'll get all of your skill position players back in 2018 if no one goes pro. And really, at this point, with um, with Juwan Jennings hurt, I think John Kelly is the only possibility there, and and hopefully hopefully not. Defense, you're going to lose Kendall Vickers, Cortez McDowell. You've already lost for the year. I don't know if there's a, a redshirt possibility there. You'll lose Colton Jumper. You'll lose the corners, Martin and Mosley and Shaq Wiggins. Todd Kelly, again, hasn't started. Knee surgery, maybe a redshirt situation there. And it, depending on if Evan Berry comes back and plays, you'll lose all your specialists, which we, I'm sure we will talk about that a bunch next summer. Medley and Daniel and Evan Berry will all be gone. But there are a lot of guys on this team that are going to be essentially this team next year. You're talking about upwards of eight starters that will be back on offense and seven back on defense. I say that in part to say that that's kind of – that helps me kind of slow down some of the Butch Jones talk anyway to say, like, this, this. I think this team has a chance to cycle up a little bit next year regardless. I thought that before they lost to Florida. But the sense of are some of these guys playing in spots where there are better options behind them? And this whole list is kind of the gamut of guys that people have talked about in the past and said, you know, why is Josh Smith playing and not Tyler Bird? Why is Kendall Vickers playing and not Khalil McKenzie? Why is Colton Jumper playing and certainly not Batuli or, or whoever? And so I don't know what it is in particular about this group of guys um, because a lot of the firepower in that 2014 class went pro. Derek Barnett went pro early. Kamara was in the next class, but he went pro, you know. Um, but this this was a highly touted group of guys, a lot of them when they came here, and the, and the first group of highly touted guys Tennessee had had in a long time. Um, but I, I just I, I wonder about that dynamic. I'm just kind of wondering out loud. I don't, I don't even know if I really have a question here. Just just to say, this group of seniors is an interesting group, um, and they, you kind of look at all of them and say, I feel like I've had a conversation about a majority of them to say, is there someone younger who's actually better than them who's not playing? Um, and and may get a chance to play more as the as the season goes on. I may be way off about that. That's just a that's just an observation that I have uh, about about this team. Brad, do you want to say anything anything more about? I know you wrote that piece this week, but any anything more about that kind of idea or philosophy? Well, I mean, I guess you know I, I don't really this this may sound like a rhetorical question. I actually want you guys to answer it because I I feel like I know a little bit about football. I don't know a lot, but you know I mean we do kind of watch it all the time and, you know, try to give our opinion on things. But, uh, you know, and, and again, it all it all comes back to Butch, and I'm trying for it tonight. But, you know, I am just kind of down right now, disappointed. But, you know, I, I really want to know you guys' opinion on this because, you know, when when I when you bring up that point, and I thought about it, and I, I didn't articulate this point very well because, you know, a lot of times I'll, I'll write an article – and then I'll go back and read it several times, and then when I, you know, because I, I wanna, I kind of rethink what I, what I wrote, and you know, I almost, I almost did a follow-up piece to it this week, but I thought it would be a little bit overkill, and that's because, and I also thought it would be kind of, you know, um, taking shots, I guess, um, at the coaching staff when really that wasn't necessarily my intent, but, you know, I guess 
without rambling too much more. But but my question is is are you guys happy with the with the development of the players? Because that's what that's really what this boils down to is you know we get so excited about you know these these guys as as freshmen and sophomores, but now here we've got some butch guys that are seniors and they've never really progressed and that, and that again that that comes out like I'm bashing these kids and I'm I'm not I don't mean it to sound that way but um you know to me it's like I, those guys have never really taken that next step from being you know good prospects to really being key SEC players and I'm talking about you know and and it could just be because of injuries too I mean but I'm talking about like you know guys like Khalil or guys like you know, Tuttle or guys like Kirkland, guys that, you know, that that maybe, you know, we expected were going to be really, really good players. Normandy even kind of falls in that list. I mean, you know, Ethan Wolf and th- there are just some guys, I mean, you know, l- name some guys across that offensive and defensive line. I mean, Phillips and Kongbo and just a lot of guys on, on the offensive line where you look at it and you're like, you know, these guys are, are good players, but you know, they never really took that step to be the all-SEC players that we thought they were going to be when they came in and they were making the headlines. So, you know, to me it's an indictment of the coaching staff to, to look at some of these guys developmentally that have kind of stagnated a little bit. And and I'm wondering if that's just me, if I'm being too hard on the staff by saying that, or I'm wondering you guys' opinion on that. I know that's kind of me flipping the script and asking asking a question where that's Will's job on this, but – you know, I mean, how, how do you guys feel about that? Do you think that that's an element that plays into it a little? I will flip it right over to Joel and let him have first shot at it. <laughs> I think it's an open question. Um, I think there it's a mixed bag. Um, definitely questions about why we're not seeing more from guys like uh, McKenzie and Kongbo. I mean, these guys are five-star guys, you wow. know, and haven't really – um, seen much from them. I said, Kyle Phillips, same kind of deal, although he's starting to shine. McKenzie was hurt last year. Um, he had an adjustment period as a freshman, maybe. Um, but, you know, I, I think there's a there's a question there. But I think also that there's been, um, you know, you, you can't argue with uh, all of the talent that went to the NFL uh, last year and uh and did well you know and so i think we're sometimes we tend to say that when a guy succeeds and gets to the nfl we give him the credit and when he fails we blame the coach but um <laughs> you know I, I don't know i i think it's a legitimate question and something to keep an eye on definitely i i would um I would point to – there's a couple of guys I would definitely point to. I think Josh Malone got better um, while he was here. No quarterback has looked worse in a Tennessee uniform. Well, I'll take that back. Nathan Peterman looked pretty bad uh, in, in the swamp. But Dobbs against Vanderbilt as a freshman, I mean, I was convinced that, that kid was never going to play here again. And I think Dobbs got better. There's There's a portion of that conversation you can have about – them unleashing him, DeBoard or Butcher, whoever, unleashing him more. Uh, and if they had done that in 15, maybe he would have always done that. But I think there are there are some examples. I think we're skewed a little bit because of the nature of how many of the kids that came in in 14 and even 13 to some degree that had to play right away. Jalen Hurd had to play right away. Coleman Thomas had to play right away. You know, there were an unusual number of, of these guys because of, just how how Dooley left it, and I and I know this is year five for Butch. I'm not uh, you, you you have to make Butch accountable for the state of the program now. But when we're talking about our perception of player progression, I think we got so skewed there for a little bit because we had to play so many freshmen. So I go back to the point I made about positivity. Like I, I look at a guy like Daryl Taylor. I don't look at him and say, Oh my God! Like what? How how has this guy not been on the field the last two years? Well, he hasn't been on the field because Derek Barnett was on the field and Corey Vereen was on the field and LaTroy Lewis was on the field. So this is the first time I've seen it since Fulmer where there are guys who can sit and wait two years and come in. John Kelly is, is example number one of this. Guys that sit and wait two years and can come in, and they're good right away when they come in. They just weren't Alvin Kamara good. 
John Kelly might give him a run for his money before it's over. So I, some, some of that has been um, we, we had to see so many guys right away at first. I think that affected our, our perception of natural growth of, of a player. And then I think last year affected it. When I'm seeing Elliot Berry last year, he's not even supposed to be out there. I mean, he was, he's never supposed to play last year, in, in my opinion. And he's out there. He gets thrown into the fire at Texas A&M where there's a 1,000 yards in that game. And, no, he doesn't look very good because he's, he's not ever even supposed to be out there. So uh, I think that, that sort of colors it a little bit, too, because you had so many guys, especially on defense last year, that were out there that, sh- that really just should have never been out there in a normal year uh, without so many injuries. I, all of us would agree about some guys. You, want, you need to see more from McKenzie. You, you need to see more from Congo. Um, I, I think Shai Tuttle, when healthy, has, has lived up to the billing. Uh, that, that dude was a monster first part of last year. Um, I, so, I, you know, you, you can kind of pick and choose a little bit there. I just think our whole it's, – it's taken to this point for a John Kelly, Daryl Taylor situation to even be possible where you had to rebuild it, then you had to rebuild behind it to where when those guys leave, there are good options that come in. And he's recruiting that way uh, again now. Um, that, that doesn't take Butch off the hook for, by, by any means. Um, but I, I do think just we've had to adjust our perceptions on the fly to freshmen playing right away, then to third stringers, a bunch of them that had to come in and play last year. That colors it a little bit. Joel, you want to follow up on that? Yeah, I, I was going to say this when we were talking about the, the cornerbacks, um, but it, it sort of ties in here too. I wonder if we're um, ignoring or, or underestimating um, the uh, transitions uh, that all the players are having to make. There have been a lot of coaching changes in the off season, And, you know, here, here was my thought process from a, a football novice just with regard to the cornerbacks. Okay, we, we got rid of the last guy who couldn't teach his guys to turn around on deep balls. Now we have a guy. He's going to teach his guy to turn around on deep balls, and we're going to be better. It's probably a little more complicated than that, and he's probably <laughs> you know, teaching him, teaching all these guys different techniques, maybe different schemes, maybe a whole bunch of different stuff that I just don't have any idea about. I'm always reminded every time I listen to Eric Ainge that, man, I know nothing about football because I don't even understand the language that these guys are using, right? So, there's, you know, I wonder if part of the problem we're seeing with the cornerbacks is that they're still adapting to Warren. It's only been three games, you know. Um, maybe the new guys, without having to unlearn things, maybe they'll look better um, because – all they know is Warren, you know, but it's not just in the cornerbacks either. I mean, we've got a new defensive line coach. Um, we've got a whole bunch of new coaches. So I, I just, I think that maybe is something also to keep an eye on too, that I, I wonder if the position coaching changes, um, if there's some sort of transitional lag that we need to be cognitive of. Could be. And, and I think when it comes to pass defense, again, this, this is why I brought it up. Like, we, we don't know. We played Georgia Tech, who you, you can't judge. We've said this a million times, I know, but you can't judge your pass defense when you're playing Georgia Tech. Then we played an FCS team. Then we played a Florida team that until the last play of the game had no passing offense really whatsoever other than the – again, we can spend seven hours on this – other than the large amounts of cushion that they were being given in the first half to really kind of set themselves and, and establish some tempo and some rhythm. Um, so I I don't know, like, that's, that's the thing. It's, it's a possibility that we get to Georgia and we're like, "Uh Oh yeah, we really should have been worried about this the whole time. We just didn't know to worry. So, um, you know, it's, it's, I think all of those, and and that's, that's why we talk about it for an hour because we don't know, uh, all those things are possible. Um, and it's, uh, it's, it's hard to get a handle on. I just think corner in particular has been a place where there does not appear to be, a Daryl Taylor or a Daniel Batuli who, or John Kelly, who those guys who have been on the roster and were sitting behind Cam Sutton or whoever, and just 
couldn't get in the game for for because a better upperclassman was there. That that guy doesn't seem to be manifesting itself. Tennessee has an abundance of talent at safety, and Rashawn Galvin is is playing really well, I think, at nickel. But at corner, it's, it's just not there. Back there. Say what? Yeah, he's our best guy back there. I love that dude. Golden, yeah. Yeah. Um Yeah, he so he I, and, and Warrior are both having really good seasons, I think. So there are answers. You know, even even when when Todd Kelly has to have knee surgery, we're okay. You know, we can joke about not being able to play a dime or whatever, but Tennessee's got those guys at safety. They've got those guys at linebacker. I I, I hope they have those guys at defensive end, um, but, but it's just not there at corner, and that, that is um, an, uh, strange to me. Maybe it's an outlier, but it, it could become a concern very quickly uh, as, as we get into teams with a, with a bigger um, passing pulse. Uh, I'll, Brad, I'll give you a shot to, to take the last word on this or, or anything else uh, you, you want to point out about this conversation before we wrap it up. No, I mean, I think that, you know, I think we've pretty much covered it all. I mean, I, I, it's a good point about the, you know, about the coaching turnover and, you know, the, and I think that we are beginning to see a little bit of, um, you know, fundamental differences um, in some of those guys. But, you know, to me, if you've, if you've got guys that are still, you know, if we thought last year was doing things the wrong way, which I think we all agree on, and we've still got guys that are doing things the wrong way, then why not put some guys in who may be doing things a different way? And I don't think that we see enough of that, which is why I wrote that this week, that, you know, maybe, you know, don't want to spend, spend it as a positive thing that these kids are out for the year, but, you know, that it does give us an opportunity to look at some of these young, talented guys that that are faster and maybe a little a little more fluid hip, sideline to sideline kind of guys that this defense is lacking. So, you know, I mean, maybe maybe we need to see that at, at corner. I hope it doesn't take an injury to get to get to that point. But, you know, I, I'd really like to see a lot of Schamberger and LaBruza, um, maybe Marquill Osborne this weekend, just to kind of see, you know, what else we have out there. And, and so because, you know, you, you want to give these coaches – the benefit of the doubt, but you know that Daniel Batuli wasn't supposed to play, and he goes out and gets 23 tackles against Georgia Tech. So I'm kind of of the opinion right now to put those guys out there and let them, you know, to use the old cliche, get some live bullets and see see what they got. Because right now, you know, Justin Martin's not cutting it. So you know, why don't we put somebody out there and you know maybe maybe he shows up when the lights come on, kind of thing. Well, we'll see. Saturday, Tennessee gets UMass, of course, and as we've talked about and as we've written about, the lots to pay attention to there Saturday night. Uh, I mean, Alabama, Vanderbilt, there there may be a few things to pay attention to there, but especially Saturday night with Florida and uh, Kentucky and, and Georgia and Mississippi State. Uh, very interesting. Either way, next week we'll be back talking about Tennessee and really, again, I think was true before Florida, but certainly true now, the most important game on their schedule with Georgia coming in here the following week. Uh, this, uh, like I say, uh, my wife and I are having a baby next week. So this may be, um, I, I don't know if you'll get to hear my voice next week or not, but, uh, hopefully you'll hear, uh, Joel and Brad's voice and, uh, we will continue to follow this team wherever it goes. So we appreciate you listening. That's not we appreciate, a good excuse, uh, Will. <laughs> well, we don't know what day we're having the baby yet. So if it's like Friday, <laughs> you know, then, or I could do it, I could do it live from the hospital if we, you know, go in at like 1030 at night. So You're no promises to. on that. It's in your contract. <laughs> Right, right. Um, <laughs> truly, we um, we this has been a hard week and, and not a very fun week uh, for any of us. And so we appreciate the um, the kind words on our our site and the comments. Uh, appreciate folks listening and continuing to read and and try to wrestle some of these uh, through some of these things with us uh, in in a in, in at least somewhat reasonable kind of way. Um, a lot of football left to be played for this team this year, and uh, I think we may find Saturday that that the East is just a mess and and Tennessee will be right in the middle of that mess. So we'll see. So thanks again for listening. You can find this on iTunes. Of course, uh, all of our old podcasts are there. Uh, Again, Brad, great stuff this week on uh, Tennessee's injuries, maybe forcing them to play their most talented players. Joel's got the win probability post on our site every week where you can go and fill in uh, your, your win probability for this team for the rest of the year. 
Uh, we look forward to, to talking more about this UMass game and then more about George next week. And so for Brad and Joel, I'm Will Shelton. This has been the Game Day on Rocky Top Podcast. Hey, guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun, too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.